Episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 14. This week I caught up with Alex Sumner. Alex has got a really nice rat rod that he's built. It's a 1953 International AR160. So he pulled this thing out of a paddock and uh, has brought it back to life. So. It's a great listen. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hopefully, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be catching up with a few engineers, a Victorian engineer, hopefully New South Wales, Queensland, WA. And we're just going to pose a few questions to them, you know, probably fairly generic questions. But if you've got some specific questions that you would like me to ask, uh, you know, maybe it'd be interesting to see the differences between the states and things like that, then send me through a message either on Facebook or Instagram or through the email. And uh, just let me know what you'd like me to talk to them about, and we'll be putting that together soon. So for now, enjoy this podcast with Alex, and we'll talk to you next week. Alex, thanks for coming on board and having a chat to us on the podcast. How are you, mate? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, that's that's fine. It's uh, nice nice to get someone with a, a classic inter-truck on. We, we had an international on not long ago, but it was a scout, and uh, that was a, a bit of a different build and a cool build but um i guess we've got uh your yours is a legitimate truck so before we get too far into all that we'd like to go back and uh and see where it all started so can you give us an idea tell us your uh your first automotive memory or, or what spurred on you know thinking about cars and bikes or trucks back when you're a young fella well you know my father, one of the cars my father had was an eh and at the time you know that was pretty cool it had mags on it and I look pretty good so that sort of fueled my my i suppose um interest in vehicles then my cousins were right into putting v8s into ehs back in the like 80s late 70s 80s and um yeah so my family's really big with modified cars so um and that still goes on today as well so, you know, they've got different cars, Camaros, EHs, HTs, yeah, a variety of cars. Yeah, so you, you never really had a choice, did you? No, not really. Not really, no. No. It was sort of in my blood. So my dad was a diesel mechanic, and then that spurred me on to do a trade, so I became a fitter and turner. And being a fitter and turner, you get to – you're pretty good with your hands. So working on – Cars, you know, it's pretty natural. Yeah, and it, it, it gets you outside of that box of, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you can't buy it off the shelf, so I can't do it. Whereas when you've got that hands-on experience of creating something that didn't exist, 
your mind can just build bigger and bigger. That's right. Yeah. Which is a good advantage too. Yeah. What would have been the um, the car you learned to drive in? A Volkswagen, 73 Volkswagen. Just a Beetle? Yeah, Beetle. So that was um that was another one of the old man's cars. Once he got rid of the EZ, he bought a um a Volksy. And that was pretty cool. So um but yeah, you know what Volksies are like stock standard ones. So but it was good. So Yeah. Nice and simple and reliable. Yeah, that's it. That's what he liked it for, so so when you finally got your license, what, what was the first car you shelled out some hard-earned dollars on? I actually bought a uh, TA22 Celica. That was the first car. And um, <clears throat> drove that for a while, put mags on it, tried to make it look cool and everything else. Um, and then I had an accident in it. And I thought, I like the car. I actually wanted to buy something like a 67 to 69 Camaro. But this thing was, I suppose, the closest body shape to it that I could afford. So I thought, all right. So I call it the the poor man's Camaro. Um, so then I started doing that. I got a bare metal, um, down the bare metal myself. Um, rebuilt the motor, painted it all myself. Except I painted all the, the running gear, but the body and paintwork. I gave to a guy called Sam Buttigieg, who was a friend of the family. Um, and I was lucky I had contacts with Toyota in those days. And I got every single bolt-on panel that I could, brand new, from Toyota, just to make sure it was um, all up to scratch. In the end, it ended up costing me something like 38 grand. Um, had leather Recaros, full leather interior, GT Celica Dash, Simmons wheels. It was quite a nice car. The ex-wife got made me sell it, so which I regret till today. But as we do when we sell all cars that we do up, yeah, and that and that was the first one that you did a ground-up build on. Yeah, and that's the one I took to the um, I took it to a lot of shows and did pretty well in it. But um, because it wasn't a Holden, a Ford, or a Chev, and didn't get the top prizes all the time, which I didn't mind. It. Like. You know, you don't build something, you know, I didn't build it to win trophies, you know, just for people to appreciate it. And like I think I was told you before, I took it to the 84 four-cylinder nationals, pulled off top coupe, top interior, and top body and paint. And I was pretty rough with that, and I just missed out on top overall. So that was pretty cool for me, first car that I really dig up from the ground up. Yeah, definitely. And and so when you sold that, uh, how badly did you do do your dollars on it? I sold it for eight and a half, and it cost me thirty eight to build. <laughs> yeah, so bad. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I it, I think most of us enjoy the physical building of a vehicle. Now the driving is a bonus, but you know to be able to shape something, especially like a rat rod. Is a little bit different to everyone else because you can put your own ideas into it. And, you know, it's like art, I suppose. And then you see what the guys do in the States, and that's like next level. Yeah, there's. I think there's two sorts of vehicle builders. Like there, there's people that are building a vehicle to have the end product, and then they they'll never pick up a tool and they they're happy with it. 
And then you've got guys that I think are probably one of them where it's the process that I'm loving. And when the truck's finished, I mean, I'm going to drive it, but it'll be all right. What's the next thing I can build? Because you're always wanting to do that, aren't you? Yeah, like I call them buyers and builders. Yeah, you got people yeah. that just haven't got the time. Some people have got the cash flow, but they haven't got the time to build anything. So, but that's all right. Everyone's got the same passion. Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, you know, we were talking about the other day, cars are a luxury and, and they're just a bit of fun. And and uh, I think I made a silly comment, like if you were only buying a car to get from A to B, it, it'd be a pretty boring thing like a Camry that's nice and reliable and does the job. But we, we all want to put our personalities in and I can honestly put my hand up and say, I judge a person by the car they drive. So that's kind of part of our lifestyle. Yeah, true. Not, I don't, I don't judge people badly by their car, but yeah, you sort of, you have that mentality of, uh, you know, you see someone in a brand new Porsche versus someone in an old rat rod truck. You know, you, you feel like, I feel like I'm more likely to have a beer with a guy in the truck personally, you know? Yeah. Why not to me? Yeah. You can relate to him a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So after the Celica, uh, did you stay with cars for a while? When, when did you first sort of start thinking about trucks or, or about building one? Well, the next car I bought after the Celica was a HQ four-door GDS, factory 308 four-speed. And um, believe it or not, back in the 80s, I picked it up for two and a half grand. Wow. I drove it for 12 years, and it was still like mint. It was just dead stock. And I sold it for eight and a half grand, and I thought, geez, that was pretty good profit over that period of time. But now I kick myself, don't I? Because, you know... They're worth 40 plus K for just a, an average one. But trucks, I've always been interested in trucks, but they've always been out of my reach because of the price of them, especially like, oh, like 55 to 56 F100s. But I could never afford one, even though, even one to do up. I thought, you know what? I won't worry about it. And then um, I saw an Inter for sale in one of the local Facebook pages. That's where I thought, well, well, I'll go have a look at it and see what I think. And that's where my project started from that. Because at the time I bought it for um, $800, which is pretty cheap. They're going up in price now. I think everyone's got the same opinion now because the Fords and the Chevs are going up in price. But the Inters and maybe even the Bedfords will take off later on. Yeah, there's certain body styles that um, that make for a good pickup truck, I think. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do like the style of your truck for sure. And, and we were talking to um, Steve a couple of episodes ago who he's done an, a Bedford A2 and, and, you know, they're a good-looking cab too. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's there's a lot of trucks. I mean, they're still all laying out in the paddocks. So so yours was a farm-fresh truck? Um, mine was originally um, at a New South Wales race course. It was a watering truck. Yeah, right. I actually picked it up from London. So, yeah, it was farm fresh, uh, just standard truck, just with a chassis, no, nothing at the back of it. And I thought to myself, I thought, oh, well, I originally wanted to build a really cheap rat rod, which cheap, it never happens. Um, so I thought <laughs> I'd try and get the motor going when I got home, but I just couldn't get the stupid thing going. So I thought, you know what, I'll go a different body and chassis, not body just a chassis and running gear. Because at first I was going to keep the original chassis and drop a V8, maybe a Chev in it and a nine inch. 
but speaking to engineers, there was too much effort and hassle trying to shorten the chassis and move all the running gear forward and all that stuff. So I gave that the flick. And then I went to see a, guy, a couple of guys in Kilsyth that do this kind of stuff. They build wrap rods and hot rods and everything else. And he pointed me towards HQ. He goes, but if you can't get HQ, go for an F100. I got the truck originally from a, a farm in London. Yeah, yeah, cool. And um, there's some photos on your Instagram of it when you first got it, and it, it looks very similar to the uh, the way mine was dragged out of a paddock too. So HQ chassis or, or Ford. Uh, so you ended up going down the Ford line? Yeah, I went the F100 chassis because I, I picked up a a complete uh, chassis running gear um, for 1200 bucks. Now, when I when I bought it, the guy said it had a 302 Windsor FMX, and he said it was an eight and three quarter inch dip. And I thought, yeah, that's all right. That'll be fine. I later found out that it had a 351 Cleveland in it and a nine inch. So I thought, well, that's a pretty good score for 1200 bucks. Yep. So I've only had to do a little bit of work to the motor because when I first got it, I had like 35 PSI on each cylinder. So I pulled the heads off in that. The exhaust valves had all burnt out. So I reseated those, and it's back up to 185 now. And the bores still had the original home marks in them. So I was pretty wrapped. Yeah, that's that's a good score. So two grand, you've, you've basically got the bones of your build, haven't you? That's right, yeah, yeah. And, and so what year chassis was that Ford, do you know? That's a 65. 65 F100 twin I-beam. Yeah, pre, pre-ADRs, so that, that definitely makes life easier for you, doesn't it? It does, yeah, yeah. That's mm. why I wanted yep. something old school, but if you looked at it, you could think, oh, that motor came out of it. And I didn't want fuel injection or anything else. I just wanted to keep it as simple as I could. So... That's why I didn't go an LS1 or anything like that. Yeah. And so when you originally uh, pulled it out of the paddock and you started thinking about the build, was the idea that it would be a daily driver or just a weekend cruiser? What was your sort of plan at that stage? Originally, it was going to be a daily driver. I had a business as a handyman. So I wanted to build it up as a work vehicle because I thought it'd be pretty cool. I had my signage on the side of it and all that. And I'd stand out in the crowd. And I thought that'd be pretty cool. But... um. Because of COVID and the lack of work, I, I ended up going and getting a full-time job now. So so this is only going to be like, um, it'll be on Rec Reg, but I'll drive it as much as I can. So what was the engineer's, what, what was the basic thing he said to you about putting that cab on the chassis? It was it was just as simple as doing some cab mounts and, and that sort of thing? Or was there was there any restrictions that he put in place that you had to work around? Yeah, he wanted claw put latches so i had to pull all the old the original ones and i went to tcr components and bought a latch kit which had got all the metal and everything so you just cut weld and that's it he wanted seat belts in it so i had to make seat belt um brackets for it so he wanted me to make it out of rhs and i said oh that's going to look pretty crappy once i put a radius on it they have to be like 90 degrees. I said, what about if I go six mil 150? You know, steel plate. He goes, yeah, that's overkill. So what I've tried to do with the engineer, 
is work with him and put him in the trade background. I've over-engineered everything too. So he was pretty wrapped with that. I've had to run wiper washers, which it never came out with. So there's, there's a few things that it's had to adhere to as a modern vehicle. Had to have a still a tilt and collapsible steering column. So I've put one yep. of those out of a BF Falcon. That's basically it. Oh, they wanted new windscreens too. So, and that's it. I, there wasn't that much the engineer actually asked for. Yeah, I mean, that's that's good. I mean, you've used a complete rolling chassis, you know, with that you haven't really altered apart from effectively changing maybe some cab mounts, but it, it makes it a lot easier. And I, I think for anyone listening that that's considering a build, the easier you can do, the less modifications you can do to a chassis um, if you're doing a fairly simple build, it uh, makes life easier, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Look, you know, it, all was, it wasn't that straightforward. I had to make new mounts for the front end um, for the guards and the front panels because um, yep. as you, you'll most probably, you'll know, as you start building it, you'll change your mind. Like I had the cab fairly high. And now I work for a new company. They're all into lowered, well, I mean, really on the ground vehicles. So they go, you've got to airbag it. So I airbagged it and just couldn't get it low enough. So I decided to lower the um, the cab by another 125 mil. And when you do something like that, it impacts on all the cross members in the cab because they're going to hit the bell housings or the, the auto changes the angles of the steering column and everything else and you know they're the things you don't think about but um yeah i've learned by my mistakes i suppose yeah so did you did you get it registered is it registered on the road at no, the moment it's not. Or? i'm just i'm preparing i've got in touch with the engineer i'm preparing the all the paperwork for the engineer right now so you originally you put it all together with the idea that it was just going to sit a couple of hundred mil off the ground and then you've decided, no, nah, we're going to change track and we're going to go full airbag system and, and channel the body a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, no, I haven't channeled the body at all. I haven't channeled it. But what I've done is dropped it lower onto the, um, closer to the um, chassis rails. Yeah, because I had it up like about, I don't know, over 100 mil to get it all level. And then I've just rejigged yeah. it. I had to... Because I'm using the original back or rear, can I say, cab mount, which has got a single pivot in the center of it on an inter. And I like that idea because it still gives you the truck feel where it sways. So I thought I'll keep that. Now, when lowering it, I had to cut out a lot of a, a fairly large chunk of a recess where the, the tail shaft was and where it was going to sit lower on the chassis rails. So that's how I drop the rear end of it down. But when you do the front, then you've got to cut the main supporting subframe and make a new one out of RHS that's a lot higher so that you can still sit it lower and still clear your um, gearbox. Yeah. And is, does it have an independent front suspension or is it a solid axle? No, uh, the front is twin I-beam. So it's standard yep. forward as well. I was going to originally get drop I-beams, but I weighed it up and um, I was lucky enough to pick up a full airbag system um, for 800 bucks second hand from Canberra. 
so I got that. So, so I've tried to minimise my costs where I can. It still costs you a few bucks. It's all the small things that add up. They do, yeah, yeah. Every little thing. Just yeah. the the best bet is to not not write that down. <laughs> no, well, at the end of the day, as long as you've got what you you're happy with what you've built, I think that's what's important, and it drives nicely. You don't want to drive something that looks mm. good and it drives like a pig. So no, or or vice versa. Yeah. And what what about the rear end? Did so? Did you have to do a notch in your chassis, or has it managed to just sit down? Look, I avoided doing a notch. I've actually designed it so that the running boards sit level when it's at its lowest point sitting on the, the bump stops. Now, because if I wanted to um, notch the, the chassis, I was going to have to lift the bed of the um, tub up something like about 80 inches to do it because my engineer would only allow me one of the curved like the um like a horseshoe sort of um notch not one of the ones yeah. that we can buy from the states and um that was just going to reduce the the bed height i didn't want that because i still wanted to be able to use it as a you mm. so you know you've just got to balance what you want the vehicle for the other impacting factor is i'm still running the original um international fuel tank and i physically can't lower it anymore unless I change fuel tanks. Because yeah, yeah, right okay. now I've got something like about, I think it's seven mil clearance between the cab floor and the top of the tank. So I physically can't come any lower unless I change fuel tanks. Yeah, no, it looks great when it's sitting on the grass. Like one of, one of your photos there, it's, it lays frame pretty much looks really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the, the bed obviously, you know, these trucks didn't come out with a bed, so you've had to fabricate that up? No. I'm, I was just waiting and waiting, and I picked up that bed, believe it or not, for 150 bucks. That guy, a guy built it from scratch, and um, he was going to do some project, and he, he just wanted to get rid of it. So I said, well, it's got the bones that I need and the main panels. So I picked it up. And I've done a lot of refabricating on it, like all the, the tubes on the top, and just done a lot of work to it just to improve it. That was all my work. So I did mine. I had to buy just steel RHS, some steel tubing, and that's it. And I did it all myself. So you, if you look around and you're not in a rush, you can save a lot of money by doing stuff like that. You know, I saw yeah. a KB3 the other day, and the guy had the narrowest of um, tubs, but what he had was like truck guards over his wheels, which looked really cool. So, you know, you reduce your costs. You can reduce your costs in a lot of different ways. And, you know, um, yeah. I think the main idea of having a, a rat rod too is, you know, to keep it fairly cheap as well. Because, you know, these things that some of these show trucks have got like 30, 40, plus thousand dollar paint jobs you know and again like i've had a, a decent car and i just want to be able to park it anywhere and if someone bangs it with their car it doesn't worry me no it's it's come up real nice i um i i love those guards are they those guards were already on that tub what's that the the rear guards yeah no 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 i bought them from a very swap mate 
So like I picked those up for 150 bucks. You know, so it's it's just a matter of going to all these swap meets and looking at all these like Facebook buy, swap and sells and that and just picking the stuff that you need and being a bit lucky, I suppose. There's still a few things like the tub. I was looking at the way that they've mounted the inner guards on the tubs and I need a little bit more width. So I'm going to remove the tubs out of the inner part of the tub and put it on top of the, the frame. They've welded it underneath. So that gives yep. me a little bit more height. So just little things like that. You don't realize at the time, but when you want to try and achieve something else, you pick all these little things up. Yeah, no, it looks really good. And I, I guess one of the, the advantages to doing something like the international truck that you know, there's not a thousand of them in the country. Everyone doesn't see them all the time. And, you know, you're not going to get someone walking up to you going, oh, they're the wrong guards for that truck. Whereas when you do a Chev, you've got to have Chev guards on it. Or well, you, you, don't have, you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. But you're going to have some guy say, oh, that tub's off a 54, not a 53, you know. And, and I, I think the freedom you get when you're doing something that's a little bit left to feel like what you've done and the fact that you, you know, it's a patina, it's a rat rod, and and you can just do what you want. And it looks great. It's, yeah. I reckon it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. Have you, what have you done with the interior? Is have you used like the original gauge cluster and stuff like that? Or, no. Or what no. Did you do? I've gone for dolphin gauges. Um. Yep. And figures the inches are really strange how the, the gauges are sat like one's almost in the middle of the dash, and one's almost in front of the the driver. So I've blocked out one hole. And I've brought it, brought them both so they're right in front of you. Um, so I welded up the dash, refilled it, and everything else. Um, the bench seat I picked out of a, um, I think it was an E two thirty Merc back seat, and that absolutely fitted perfectly. Oh, that was another thing the um, engineer wanted. He wanted when the rear seat mounted because it was a, a back seat. He wanted a bracket for the bar to actually sit into as another safety option so that the seat wouldn't collapse in an accident. Yeah. What else did I do? Oh, um, then I put like little indicators in the dash um, uh, because the original ones were in the gauges. Like a mate of mine had all this carpet. He's got an event company and um, he had all this blue carpet. And he goes, oh, you can have what you want. So I grabbed all that. I've got a B&M shifter on the floor. And then for the interior of it, I've used, because I work for a company called Car Builders, and we do um, sound deadening and acoustic products. Not sure if you've heard of them yeah. or not. Yeah, I have, yeah. Okay. So they had this, this particular item called the Vincent, which has got all graphics of different cars. So I've lined the inside of the cab with that. So that's my interior. So it just looks something different, you know. I'm always trying to do something a little bit different to make, you know, sort of a bit of a wow factor, but without costing me millions of bucks. Yeah, and that's that's an important part about a build because it, it can so quickly, you know, if you, if you think that you had to pay someone in a shop to do all the work that you've done at 60, 80, 100 bucks an hour, it, it really starts to become an expensive build. But the fact that you're, you know, you're, you're building it yourself, your, your feet on the ground at a swap meet, you're finding parts, you're, 
you're putting together a really affordable truck at this stage. It's, it's a, a great finish you've got going. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So what a, what about the motor? Have, have you given that a bit of a workover? Or... No, right now, um, I've just got it so it's stock. But I know of anyway. Um, look, it sounds stock, idle stock. It goes reasonable. So what I'm going to do for now is just get it on the road first. Because the biggest hurdles the engineers, it could be anywhere between 15 to 2K to get it engineered. Once it's on the road, then I'll, you know, look around. Because I saw on Facebook a guy was selling a um, four-barrel Edelbrock and a 650 Holly for like 650 bucks, And I thought that was pretty good. So, yeah, later on I'll, I'll cam it and put a four-barrel carby and manifold on it. And basically that'll be it. Because I still want it to be streetable, be fairly good on fuel, but, you know, the main objective is just to be a nice cruiser and reliable. Something like you hardly touch the key and it starts, and that's what I want. You know, I don't want something that's going to be a pig every time I go out, a pig to start it, or you're going to be worried it's not going to start at all. Yeah, no, you can't beat a good Ford V8. I've, I've had plenty of them in my time, and, um, yeah, I've they go well. I've never Ford, man, until this thing, but... It seems, it, I'm hoping it'll be all right. From what everyone's told me, you know, Cleveland's the way to go. So, hmm. and so because this is on a Ford chassis, is it registered as a '68 Ford? It'll, uh, yeah, it'll be reg. I think it'll be registered as a Ford. Yeah, as an F100. Yeah, I think it'll have to because they go by the chassis. Well, what about car clubs? You obviously you're going to have a club. Uh, Reg, are you a member of a car club? Not now, but I'm thinking about I'm thinking about um, joining Mosque, Melbourne Old School Bruisers. Yep. I really wanted some a club that I don't even think there is any rat rod clubs in in Melbourne. There's hot rod clubs, fair enough, but I don't think there's any rat rod clubs. Which um, so I'll see how I go. But most most probably I'll go for Mosque right now, unless someone messages me and go, oh, we've got a car club that you know. Just has rat rods or something. Yeah, it might be time for you to be the president of the new Melbourne Rat Rod Club. Yeah, well, I was thinking about it, and your missus going, nah, it'll be too much work. It'll be too much work. And I said, yeah, I know. So, but it'd be nice. I think we need something like that. Hey, maybe you, maybe you can do it. Mate, I'm, the, I'm already a president of a committee. I don't need to be another one. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, look, I... I, I think the car club thing's a, a really important um, part of the structure. And I know a lot of people only join the club to get, get their rec reg and that's it. And, and that's often because it, it is a really generic car club that, that isn't that interesting. They don't want to go to the meetings. They don't want to hang out with a lot of the people because, you know, they might be driving an Alpha or some other random car. So I, I think it would be really cool, especially in the Melbourne area. And um, as you say, it may already exist, but, but something that is... You know, whether it's pickup truck specific or rat rod specific, but something where, you know, if they have a club day, you, you actually want to go and you look forward to being a part of the club rather than just joining a club just to have your membership. And, and there's a huge learning curve too from talking to people that have done different things with different cars, you know, and that's beneficial as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like myself, I'm, I've got a lot of Facebook sites that are rat rod, you know, Facebook sites in the states and some of the stuff they're doing there and they're really good to chat to you know there's a there's a couple of inter rat rod ones over there too 
So those guys are really helpful, um, especially some of the videos are like when they do chop tops and all that stuff. When they chop a um, one of my models, the AR160, the way they specifically chop the roof and recess it and drop it is really interesting. So, yeah, it'd be really good to have a club here, but I think it's only a matter of time before someone does. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to put together a, a truck show, like a specific truck only show which would be a a big step in the right direction and i know how much is involved in in running clubs i'm a i'm the president of our local mountain bike club and you okay. know that we don't we don't even have to deal with all the regulations of car stuff but i can't imagine it'd be so much more work to do that but um yeah something will happen because it, it's just getting more and more popular which is fantastic yeah yeah for sure if you were to go back to day one uh pull the inter out of the paddock and you had your time again, would, would you do anything differently or are you you're pretty happy with how things have come along? I'd go HQ. You would? I'd go a HQ chassis. The reason why is Holdens are easy to lower. Um, when you've got twin eye beams, you're really limited with how light, low you can go unless you go drop spindles. And like I said, they're, they're about 1800 bucks these days. And that, that sort of kills it. Look, I'm happy with how I've built it. You know, it, it all depends on what's there at the time and what you can afford. And I think you've got to be open-minded, have a few um, a few options of what you want to run for a chassis and running gear. If, if you're too solid in one thing, I think you limit yourself a lot. So um, it's better to be open with ideas and even, you know, just feed through different people. I've, my partner hates it. Whenever we go to any um, car shows, most of the time she'll see me underneath the cars because I'm looking at what kind of chassis, what kind of front ends they're running, what kind of rear end setup they're doing, you know, especially trucks. And you know, even a lot of the F100s I've seen, they're running HQ chassis. So, um, yeah. I think I think that would be the, the only thing I'd change about it, the chassis and the running gear. Because the other thing is wheels are another thing. You don't put much thought about wheels and tyres. But for Holden's, there's more variety and they're cheaper than if you stick to F100. F100, you're very limited. So that, that plays a big part. You were sort of saying that when you started your build, though, you, you weren't planning to airbag it, were you? So it's no. something that's sort of evolved, yeah. That's right, yeah. I was happy with it just staying standard height. And I thought, yeah, that's all right. But then the guys I work with, they're all, one in particular, Brendan's really into, he was one of the first guys that were um, bagging mini trucks, you know, back in the early 90s or something. So he was a bad influence on me. So I bagged it. Now I'm wrapped with it. Now it's grass. And, you know, you, you see, you've you seen the photo of it on the grass on the group deck. But once I airbag it, I'll put it back up to like 75, 80 PSI. I can get a 200 mil the bottom of the bumper bar 200 mil off the ground so i've got the best of both worlds yeah and and do you know with your engineer are there any limitations to whether or not because i mean obviously on on the road driving here we have to have 100 mil clearance yeah do you have to put some kind of do you have to put a limiter in it somehow with the airbag system so that you can't drive it down that low or or how does that work okay you got pressure sensors i've got four pressure sensors for each wheel 
you just dial them in you've got three memory settings a low medium and a high and you've just got to dial it in to whatever right height you want and the system because you've got a an accumulator or a tank with up to 190 psi you've always got continuous air pressure plus your pumps are going as well when when it drops below like 195 psi so the sender units actually keep the bags all pressurized at that preset um pressure that you put in the system so theoretically you shouldn't have any problems but yeah you can drop it at the lowest point and drive it if you wanted to yeah i think it'd be interesting to see if you if your engineer wants to have some sort of a a restriction to that because well so yeah yeah i i know i know talking to a couple of the early mini truck guys they used to have it rigged up to the handbrake so if the handbrake was on then you could then lower the truck to the ground but if it if your truck wasn't at the 100 mil ride height you couldn't take the handbrake off and drive it or something like that i, I don't know enough about it but so that you've got an accurate yeah accurate yeah 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 that's cool um you know make sure you got all your spare parts they've just got out of business oh i know I, luckily i just bought i had two 480 c's on it and um one was playing up one was intermittent the other one i think the seals and the pistons were gone so i said stuff it i just went out and bought two new ones because you just can't afford it when you're running airbags you can't afford to have pumps that are you know if so they've got to be 100 percent or nothing so and i couldn't buy rebuild kits anyway so so there you go but yeah no that's good and so you've obviously um you've taken it for a bit of a drive up and down the street it, it drives nicely unofficially yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well please the police aren't allowed to listen to this podcast that's so okay <laughs> that's all right um yeah look the only way to test you know to check that everything's working is to take it up and down the road like i'm only doing like 40 k's at the most you know because <clears throat> you you want to try and make sure like i've had to i've got a under floor brake booster so i've had to create all the new pedal assembly all the brake lines and everything else. So you got to check that out. You can't just do it in a garage. You need to do it on the road. And I'm lucky I live in a court, which is a bonus. And I'm towards the end of the court, so I don't have to go too far to actually tie it out. And you got a big, you got a big circle work area, right? Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But there's usually cars here, so <laughs> there's no circle work. Yeah. The only thing is with the F100, it's got a crappy turning circle. So um, but that will that might change down the track that's what the right foot's for oh yeah yeah just to swing the uh rear end around a bit yeah i like it so um so once this one's engineered and on the road you know are there thoughts on another build or have you promised the missus no more or, or how's that work she's she's happy for me to flip it and start another one one of my mates has got buicks and I've noticed a couple of them today, they were only like 1800 bucks with straight eights. And I'm thinking, hmm, could be a next project. I've had a look at a couple of KB delivery vans into KBs, like 45, I think the 47. I could have picked up a beauty of a, a delivery van. The problem is you, you can only put so much cash into one project. You go spending it on another one, you know, when the other one's not on the road, it defeats the purpose. 
So um, I don't know. I'll, I'll just see what I'll look for and what I'll come across. Yeah. I think the next project, though, as I finish this, I'm going to look for a chassis. My next project will be just a chassis, either a HQ or something, and I'm going to start like I should have, from the ground up. So you buy your wheels, your tyres, you work at your ride height, then build up from there. You know, you learn so much from building a truck but um, or any custom vehicle, I suppose, and then I can just put any anything I want on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where I'm currently at with my build. I, I'm at the point where we're trying to work out clearances for steering arms and, you know, power steering boxes and intercooler piping and and the fact is I, I don't currently have the wheels on it that I'm going to run because I haven't bought them yet and I'm like oh you know you've you've actually got to have the right parts there because I go and do all this fab work and then get the wheels and then all of a sudden I have a clearance issue yeah you know and I think that's that's an important message for people um unfortunately it's about five grand for the wheels and tires I want which I don't have at the moment so ouch no that's life but uh, yeah that, that's the only way to go though is it yeah, you know, there's, and that's something that people, you know, listening, you know, it's not until you get into it, you start thinking about, you know, I don't know what you're like, but I'll be driving along or laying in bed or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm building parts of the truck in my head and I'm kind of working out how it's going to happen. And, you yeah. know, like even right now, I've cut the firewall out of my truck so I can get the engine in where I want it. And then, you know, the next step for me is, is to rebuild the firewall, but I don't, I don't have the seat I want to use yet. So until the seat's, in i can't work out how far my pedal box needs to be away to then build a firewall to you know everything's got to happen in a certain order and yeah and it's like it's like a big jigsaw puzzle it's so much fun you know i, I honestly think you know you, you see i've seen a lot in the states the easiest way to do it is to get a vehicle and cut it run the original chassis dash everything and just slip the cab over the top it's easier because you'll have power steering air conditioning everything set up all your electricals you know that would be i reckon one of the most cost effective way of doing it you know maybe that's the yeah. next way i'll go i don't know because if i find something that's half decent i might do that that's where they've sort of got a bit well they've got a huge advantage over there in the states because they can go buy an s10 uh, pull a body off it and say put a Chev body on it and yeah. go drive it, and it doesn't matter what year model the chassis is. No one cares over there. But you know we we have this whole ADR issue that we've got to work around. So you know the the HQ chassis is popular because it's an independent front suspension. It's got disc brakes. It, you know you can get a V8. It's got the bits we want. Yeah, it's still not ideal. I mean the chassis rails on those things are too wide for a lot of trucks, and the guys yeah. just have to work around that. But um, you start going any earlier, like into the 60s, and, and you don't have all those mod cons that you kind of want in a resto mod build. Yeah. It all depends, I suppose. And one of the biggest things of words of advice I can give anyone is if they're thinking about doing anything and they're not sure, to talk to an engineer first. You know, especially if you're going to get them to sign it off, you want to make sure you're going to build it to the specs that he wants Otherwise, you'll spend a lot of time and money for nothing and you'll have to redo it. And um, none of us want to do that. No. And, you know, like, I, I don't know what your engineer's like, but 
I'm, I don't contact my engineer and then we're sort of trying to fight to do something. Like he's, my engineer's on board. He builds, he, he engineers these sort of vehicles all the time and, and, and he's excited about it. And when you explain something, he's like, oh yeah. And they have a lot of experience from past builds. So I've, I've quite often, he suggested to me, he's like, oh, I've seen it done this way. And then I'll be like, that's a great idea. I hadn't even thought of it, you know? So yeah. if you can find the right engineer, they can actually help you with your build rather than the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I, I try and work with mine. Um, and I've told him my background too. Yeah, he's pretty happy with me knowing pretty much what I'm doing. But, um, you know, it's only a phone call. If you're not sure, just give him a buzz. Like, my engineer's happy to answer any questions I've got, no matter how stupid it is. Finding an engineer's the, the most difficult because, um, you know, someone you can relate to as well. So, um. You're going to have this, I don't know, you've just got to gel with your engineer. Otherwise, you don't want an engineer you're going to be clashing with all the time. Yeah, that's not going to make your life very easy at all. No, no. No. That's cool. All right, mate. Well, um, look, great to catch up and chat about your truck. And, you know, I, I, I love the patina on that thing. It's just spot on. And I think you've done a great job putting it all together. Oh, thanks, mate. Much appreciate. I never actually uh, realized, you know, I don't know, you don't think, what you you think your truck's your truck you don't think it looks really good it looks all right or what you just think oh well it's my truck and that's it but you know i appreciate you taking your time to do a podcast with me no perfect all right mate well uh hopefully we'll see you at some uh some shows in the future yeah for sure all right no worries see you mate all right thanks mate bye well that's the show for this week thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally... If you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.